Welcome to Texting 145, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. It's Sunday, August the 28th, 2011, and it's very hot. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Well, it's hot where we are uh, in, in uh, Los Angeles, but um, I guess over in New York, it's windy. I haven't heard much about it. I know there's some hurricane stuff that's going on over there, but uh, I somehow have managed to uh, fall behind on my news watching. So, What have you been doing that's been keeping you so busy? I guess I've been working. Um, work most of you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like a combination. We had some friends in town, so I was trying to get in work uh, as much as I could when they weren't here and then take, you know, doing stuff for the kids and, you know, just juggling. Typical weekend juggling. Yeah. So what's the, th- you've been staying up late lately. What's the, cause I got, uh, was a Friday, you slept through an alarm yesterday. You're like, I can't do the podcast. I'm too tired. I didn't I say like, that yesterday. Why, uh, yeah, why you, you said did, that? Didn't you say that? Wasn't that no. why you couldn't do the podcast yesterday? Because normally we do Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. I just, I just think I wanted to, I wanted to sleep in. I don't think that, uh, oh, you, you are necessarily staying up, but what, what has been keeping me up is, um, basically, uh, this show Friday Night Lights, which I'm very embarrassed to say. To be honest, it, the, the problem is, is if I get into anything, any series or or any kind of um, drama or whatever, even if it's bad, I will basically watch it because I just get addicted. I can't really help myself. And so I'll sit, I'll sit down at like 11 at night and I'll watch an episode. And then I'm like, oh, okay, well, I could watch another one. And I end up watching five episodes and then it ends up being two at two or three in the morning. You, so you, uh, you have a bit of an addictive personality, I've noticed, which is definitely, which yeah. I do as well. So I, 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 I can sort of recognize it in other people. You get obsessive about something and you just can't let go of it. That's right. So anyway, finally, I've watched 68 episodes of Friday Night Lights. So I think I'll add my system, except now I found out that there's a new. Wait, wait, wait. How many episodes? 68. 68 episodes. <laughs> so now I found out there's a waste of life. <laughs> So now I've found out there's a new season that I didn't know about, and I've just purchased that on iTunes. So that's another 13 episodes that I need to go through. Yeah, you, you gotta you gotta set some limits. I, I mean, I've I've done that too, where I it'll be like 11:30 at night, and I'll say, oh, I'm just gonna watch this kind of stupid show for maybe 20 minutes as I'm falling asleep, and then end up getting into it, and then I fall, and I don't get to sleep till like one or 1:30 in the morning, and, yeah. then, and then it just ruins the next day because you're like at 60% capacity. And it takes like a day or two to recover, because um, then because then what happens is the next day you you, you uh, you'll stay up late because you're just kind of in the habit of staying late, and then you're really tired later in the week, and you got to get your schedule all readjusted. Okay, go on then. So, what's Jason's tips for breaking addictive habits? Well, I don't know. I mean, one is avoid them <laughs> as much <laughs> as possible. Like you know, I, I the I, I very much believe in the idea that you really can't change yourself, but you can change your context. Um, so it's much it's much easier to just put yourself in a situation uh, where you're where sort of the odds are stacked in your favor as opposed to against. That's why I had suggested I asked you why if you thought it was a really good idea for you to move back to um, to Ireland when you said that you know you need to not drink because of uh, diabetes and you know and I know that that's like one of the main things that people do in Ireland is the social activity is they uh, spend a lot of time drinking. And I thought, you know, that's just setting yourself up <laughs> to get sick. What you, didn't you say one time in a show of old um, that a good way to break a habit is rather than just try and give something up, move it to something different that's better for you? So, so if you're going to have a chocolate bar, have an apple instead. I don't know. Maybe I did. <laughs> that sounds like maybe something I might have read. I can't recall exactly. Um, but yeah, you, I think you just got to try and put yourself in a situation where you're not as tempted. 
and uh, you know because you, you just have to remind yourself like what the what the uh, costs are going to be. So like we were chatting a little last night, and I said you know you should cut this whole staying up late nip in the bud because it gets can get away from you. It happened. To, it's happened to me. You know, or it used to happen to me when I was younger before I was married. Because Sandy's a, uh, she's one of those people like who falls asleep at like nine thirty, ten o'clock, and uh, I was always a night owl. And left to my own devices, I would stay up later and later and later until it got to like four in the morning, and then my whole day was screwed up. And then you're just out of whack with everybody else. Everybody else is like, you know, eating lunch at noon or one. You're not gonna eat lunch till like five five at night, and then you can't do activities in the evening because you've got to work until eleven just to get a full day in, and everything is all completely screwed up. So I, I've one of the the things that screws my life up worse than anything is uh, is staying up late because it's just like um, it's kind of debilitating. So luckily, Sandy uh, Sandy sort of wakes me up at like seven or seven thirty at the latest, no matter how late I stayed up. So kind of I've noticed a, I've noticed a new trend uh, within the last few shows that that you go into like uh, Jason analyzes Justin's section. Maybe we should have maybe we should have a new a new title a new section of the show. Jason analyzes Justin. Feel free. <laughs> <laughs> now you know you know what was really funny was um, we were we were talking to Daniel, our designer, the other day, and uh, he showed us the mood board, and uh, you re- you really made me laugh because we that meeting was the meeting that I'd slept in, and I was pretty tired during the meeting. So Daniel was uh, basically presenting his stuff to us, and then the we, mood you board. know that the mood board, yeah, and it was it was really good. Um, but I because I was tired, I was in a kind of a grumpy mood. And, um, you know, I really want to get any food working. So I was sort of like, I said to him, like, so, so when's any food going to be ready? You know, like, when's, when, when's the design going to be ready? And I was said that in a kind of aggressive way. And then I thought, oh, no, oh, that was bad. Maybe I need to be, maybe I need to be nice. But you know what? It's a really nice design that you've done. Really, really nice. And you said to me after the call, you, you said, you know, Justin, are you the good cop or are you the bad cop? <laughs> Yeah, because I'm getting confused. I'm not exactly sure what cop I'm supposed to be. You're like bad cop, sensitive cop. Because it was like, the, it's like you're some kind of split personality. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I thought, hey, like one of us is supposed to be a good cop, one of us is supposed to be a bad cop. At least on the TV shows, that's what they do. And uh, you know, the previous talk, or, or it was something, maybe it was maybe I don't know if it was a previous conversation, but something like that. And you were like, so Daniel, how are you okay? I mean, how how are you feeling about things? <laughs> and I was like, dude. <laughs> What is this? Are we on, a, on a, an analyst couch? I'm like, this is such a weird thing to ask. I mean, you can't fine. be good cop and bad cop. You just got to be one of no, the other. I'm, I'm just like good cop. You're good. You're bad cop, sensitive cop, which really <laughs> some out. <laughs> That's what I want to do. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to be a spider monkey and mess with their mind. God, freaking me out. I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. So, well, don't uh, don't don't feel like it's just you. I analyze everybody. <laughs> It's right. Like no, I could imagine that. No, no, yeah. Hey, so um, I've decided that um, I'm going to keep keep uh, keep going with what we st- we started uh, last uh, last show, which is I'm going to try and cut cut my talking down a little bit. And I I've decided that I'm the founding member of the grassroots campaign to just let Justin speak. Wow. <laughs> Speechless. I, they let Justin speak. That's well. That's I t- I t- I'll tell you what. Um, Philip Monet certainly loved it. He, as he says in his comments, he said, "Love the new Justin to Jason ratio calibration on the show. I think it gives the show more energy. Otherwise, when one person goes on for a while, i.e., Jason, a listener, as a listener, my mind starts wandering and not paying as much attention." Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, I when I've listened back, I I, I noticed that the best parts of the show are when we have a quick back and forth it's less interesting when i go on 
<laughs> okay, well, anyway, I think that's really good. That's working really well. Um, but let's let's move on to tech because uh, we've already been going for a while and we haven't mentioned any tech whatsoever. So one, well, one thing I want to bring up about tech, first of all, is I've decided that Skype, is, and, I, and I think we might have talked about this a long time ago, but I think Skype is almost the realization of the technology from that CTU had in uh, the TV show 24. Do you remember that? Do you remember oh, right. 24 with Jack Bauer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they would always be like, oh, I just send it to your screen. Like everybody's mm-hmm. screens were like connected and you were working in some data set or something and you could just click a button and it was on someone else's screen. I feel like in Skype, it's almost that way. You can just drag and drop something onto the screen, onto the conversation. But the only thing that, um, that Skype has is it makes you click a button of accept or decline. If you could just drag something over, you could set like your preferences that I, you know, if Justin drags something to me, I automatically accept it. It doesn't have to be. And not only would it come to, uh, it would be, you know, pushed over to my computer, but it would be open by the right application, almost like when you download a PDF or something. And if you could do that, even when you're not in a conversation with somebody, that would almost be like the Skype tech. Sort of sounds like a virus heaven. Well, no, if, if, I mean, if it's like, if it's, the, the privileges are normally set to off, but I could, you know, for you and Guyon and Curtis. So it depends on the people. Yeah, I would just say, you know, anything that Justin sends to me, it's automatically opened up on my desktop. You know, I don't have to, you know, have this accept decline and, and it just sort of slows things down. So did you see we got a mention in JavaScript Weekly? That's all you're going to give me? Nothing? No, I think it well, I think it's yeah. <laughs> that's no response. I mean, that's like the coolest <laughs> tech. I mean, I don't know. I was I, I always thought that technology like this sort of magical technology from twenty four and I'm like, Oh, I wonder when we're gonna get that. And I'm like, we already have that. It's just they don't have the permissions set up so that you can make it work that way. Anyway. Yeah, I mean I don't know. I I mean you got I agree you with got you. Nothing. I don't know what to say. I mean, there's, there's no kind of um, insight that I can give to that. I mean, that is a very good statement, but there's no insight. <laughs> is that the sensitive cop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well I, I, yeah, I, I just realized too, um, you know, when going through the topics for the show, so I'll read like 30 or 40 articles, maybe even more during a week and I go through them, but, and some of them are interesting, but there's really nothing to say about it. Like the one about the diamond plant planet made of diamond that's 4,000 light years away. It's like, okay, that's cool. And what can you really say about it? You know? Well, but it's good to bring up a little tidbit. Just, just, I mean, cause I, I th- okay. You know, when you see a movie, a good movie is one that has lots of textures. So it'll go from like one scene and then a, a second later it'll split to another scene where they're in, what, sorry, the first scene will be, there'll be in rain and overcast and gray. And then the next scene it'll go to like sun and sunshine and the sea and then it'll move to a close up of a face and then far away. And so the, a, a layered and textured movie is very good. And the same thing I think would be true of a show, so, of a podcast. So if you just brought one of those little things up and even if that just lasted for 10 seconds, it's an interesting soundbite, you know? And um, just maybe sprinkle that in once every half an hour or whatever. I don't think that would be bad. Here's a ten se- here's a ten second sprinkle for you. Well, it's just it just kind of takes your brain off into a new tangent just quickly. I mean, Diamond Planet. That's that is interesting. Diamond Planet. Check next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, just uh, well, they consider you- that my sprinkle. Okay. Okay. My first. So you saw that we were in JavaScriptWeekly.com. Yes. Right? Did you? Yeah, that's right. Sorry, I said JavaScript Weekly. I mean, I mean Peter Cooper, who who actually is creative coder.io and who we've had on the show a couple of times, um, who's an awesome guy, and he he has a newsletter, a weekly newsletter called JavaScript Weekly. So he mentioned uh, texting on the bottom of his newsletter, which is very kind of him. It'll be interesting to see if that drives any uh, new subscribers. And we have subscribed to his newsletter, and it's very cool. Um, looking at that newsletter, uh, I'm thinking 
if you're a if you're a JavaScript guy, this is a good newsletter to be subscribed to. For example, in the last in the last copy that that we were in, there's things like um, building web applications with Backbone.js. Like basically, it's it's a list of links of just to really good kind of cutting edge articles. Like another one would be how to open drag and drop files using JavaScript. I remember you you wanted to do that. You you thought that was cool as shit one time back. Oh, dragging uh, it for, like something from your desktop onto yeah, like a, like a drag and drop upload. Kind of a yeah. thing. You know, that is yeah. very cool. And uh, yeah, I'd like I definitely want to learn how to do that. Um, you know, the only problem with the newsletter is it just makes you feel bad because there's here's all this new stuff that I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, like I have to now I have to read now I have homework because here are like seven new libraries I've never even heard of. And, well the, the, uh, yeah. they had a great article as well in there, which I thought you'd find interesting, was the asynchronous code design with node.js. I mean I guess the uh, would would you even read something like that? That's more like something you'd just do rather than read. Would that be correct? Well, I've no. I mean, that would have been easier I, if I had read that back in December of last year. That would have been helpful. But obviously, I've obviously done a ton of that in Node.js, so I know it. Yeah. I might read it just out of curiosity to see what they say. I mean, speaking of that, one really good piece of technology. I think we've talked about this before. Was Tame.js, which makes it a lot easier if you have like a series of asynchronous calls that depend on uh, one another before you can move on. And it makes it so you can yeah. write them sort of uh, synchronously. And I, I know that Coffee JS, a uh, Coffee Script is uh, Jeremy Ashcanis, the maker of Coffee Script, is going to build that into Coffee Script. Anyway, that's JavaScriptWeekly.com, and I I do recommend that if you're into JavaScript and you use JavaScript for a living, to sign up to that because there's some very interesting stuff. Well, in JavaScript, if there's if there's one if there's one area where there's just a ton of innovation, it's in JavaScript. I mean, it's, it's like every day there's like three new libraries that pop up on Hacker News, like, you know, XYZ, you know, Java.js, Crypto.js, 3D.js, this JS, that JS, and everything is coming on, not only because of the, you know, the rich apps that you can build in browsers, which have been, you know, around for five, six years now, but done the server side with Node.js. I mean, there's, People are building these full-stack JavaScript solutions or CoffeeScript solutions, which is ultimately just sort of a succinct way of writing JavaScript, I guess. I have this theory that the further a language is away from being a compiled language, the more innovative people get into it. But pe- people really get into those kind of languages because it's so easy to tinker and play around with a language that's interpreted in your browser versus a language, for example, PHP, that's interpreted on the back end versus... Java, which is just a completely compiled and slow language to get anything out of. Well, it's yeah. There's just more steps there's, that you have to com- compile it, and I, I don't know. You have there's just more steps. It's, it's you're right. It's easier to tinker with it. Speaking of that, here's a, a crazy idea I had. Not a crazy idea, but something that is that I'm considering for App Ignite, which is. Um, I guess migrating um, my my code generation. Um, uh, classes from PHP to JavaScript and just running it client side. Because oh, one of the things that was, because every time you, you generate a new application based on some adjustment to the, the declaration of your application, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of work on the server. And I, th- you know, and I started, and I also was thinking, you know, it's when you build an application, even though you're going through wizards, it's like, it refreshes the page. Every time you go to a new, I don't know, a task, create a new model, add a new view or, or whatever. And, I was like, you know, maybe this is this is too sluggish, and maybe if I move everything around a client side so that it's just like a single page JavaScript app, which you know I've done before with Prezo and and uh, I'm doing now with a, on a couple other projects, that 
it would be way faster to build an app just clicking and not having to wait for server refresh, page refreshes from the server. But that every time you say generate this application, it just generates the code in and in, in, in on the JavaScript files, a series of text files, and zips it up client side and then sends it back to server just to 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 write it. So it would just be some write some saves to database and a write. Hmm. That is a good idea. Although I know if I tell it to Sandy, she'll kill me. She's like, oh, she's like, let me guess. You're going to rewrite the whole thing in a new language, <laughs> which I've done about 20 times, right? I'll start some project. I'm like, oh, you know what? I wrote it C++, but I think I really need to write this thing in .NET. Or I wrote this thing and, you know, blah, I need to write it in this. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's like where, the, where is the cutoff point for, for refactoring? Because technical debt, you know, is, is a big deal. Um, but at the same time, if you spend all of your life dealing with technical debt and refactoring, then you just don't get the business moving forward. Yeah. I think for, in this case, this is something I'm thinking about maybe doing within the next month. So uh, I guess I'll just do a little update on Epic nights right now, since we're we're talking about it, which, which is that, um, you know, I, I took it down and, and I I took the whole thing apart and our, and my trip to, uh, Norway and Sweden back in June. And it's just been a corpse lying on the table, kind of like barely clinging to life. So finally I've got this thing almost back. It's really close now. This whole week we've just kind of, it's like we took apart the engine. We finally just put the engine back together being the whole, a lot of that being about model generation and the new model, the sort of the way models work and putting that back in the car and trying to start the car and drive it around the block and have it just kind of crap out and have to fix those things. So we've been going through and fixing all those problems. So it's maybe like a day or two away to being back with all the new refactored engine. And, and, um, so I want to get it back and then make some fixes and some feature improvements for my beta users and get a, a new, whole new slate of beta users in. Cause I, there was initial six and I'd like to get another handful, but has then, it been worth it to refactor? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, it should have taken me this long. I should have taken, I should have only done one thing at a time. I, I promise I tried to, I did two completely unrelated refactorings at the same time, which is stupid. I mean, it, it was, I should have just either, if I'm going to refactor the, the code generation stuff and routes and, uh, I think auto loading that's okay. That's fine. That's one thing. It takes it down for like a week and a half. That's a big refactoring, bring it back to life and get back to work. But I, I took all that down and then I started, uh, and then I just completely redid how, the uh, how models and, and data access works, and that that was that was just a rookie mistake. I shouldn't. Have done. And why why did you do that? I mean, what were you thinking? Um, I just you know, as a technologist, you just want to you just you just start obsessing over something. You're like, this is gonna be so awesome. I got to do it. I can't wait to do it. And you just start doing it because you can't. You have no self discipline. <laughs> you know. Right. And, okay. So you're talking to me about self discipline in the adjusted analysis section, but sounds like you've got that issue as well. Yeah, doctor, heal thyself. <laughs> You know, yeah. absolutely. No, the reason I recognize you because I see I, you know, I do the same thing. So when I see you staying up late two or three in the morning, I'm like, dude, cut it out. You're you're, you're well, just that because yeah, I've done that. Don't do it. I've got to admit, like that, that is the worst for me. Like if I'm if I'm coding and I hit some kind of problem and I just I'm always just like a, a, I'm just like a few minutes away from sorting this out, from fixing this, from fixing this. That can definitely, I mean, uh, there's been there's been more than a few occasions where I've spent the entire night doing that, just working on that one issue. And I'll, I'll give you a, a couple of reasons why not to do that. It, it actually, as it turns out, that when you stop middle of a problem, it actually can be better because your brain keeps kind of solving in the background and you're really yeah. excited to get started the next day. Um, and whereas if you just finish something up, the next day you have a hard time finding a good place to get started because you, you hit a, a, a finishing point, right? You closed a loop. If you leave the loop open when you finish working at the end of the day or the end of the night, just that's fine. 
And it also reminds me of when, you know, they used to talk about this like with working out or lifting weights. So they like, don't lift to the point where you fail. Lift to the point where you're just a little more of the tank. You're like, oh, I could have got that. I could have done just a little more because the next time you're going to come in with confidence and you know exactly what you can do. I think it's, you know, sort of similar. So. In fact, it happened to me just yesterday. I was working on, I was working on something and then we took a drive and we went up to George's parents' house and just in the middle of a conversation, I wasn't even thinking about it. I, I don't know why, but just all of a sudden the solution to the problem just popped into my head while we were in the middle mid conversation. Like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You've just, you've, you've got duplicate IDs there. That's what the problem is. Yeah. And so if you had solved <laughs> the problem, you wouldn't have anything to really think about, but because there was this wide open problem that was in your brain, you know, your brain, your, your sort of your subconscious is working on it and you have other uh, insights and, and you're able to solve it anyway. And it just keeps you excited. You, you're, you're more excited the next day you get started. You're like, oh, I got, I got, I got to get working on that problem because you, your brain is working on it. You're, you're primed and uh, you, you want to come up with enthusiasm. And it helps me that when my day is more structured, even though at the moment when I have to stop doing whatever it is I'm doing, I resent it. So it's like, I'm working, it's five o'clock saying, it's like, all right, you got to, you know, get to go pick up Izzy from school and take the kids to the gym and okay, forces me to get up, stop what I'm doing and go work out and spend some time with the kids. Right. <laughs> but it's good because then I still have something left in the tank the next day. If I, if I burn out, if I work until eight or nine o'clock and I eat dinner late and I don't exercise and then I'm all, then I have, not only did I maybe I've closed the loop. So I, I reach a stopping point, but I'm also, I'm just burnt out. Like I just lose all enthusiasm. You don't want to do that. Hey, did you see that uh, blog post um, from the Tula Yoga Studio about why I, don't, I won't do a Groupon? You know, I think I might have seen that pop up on the, uh, at my RSS reader or something. What's the, what's the story? So, well, and the long and the short of it is the Groupon basically take, and I didn't realize this, they take 50% of the take. Did you know that? They take 50% of the revenue? Of, yeah, they take 50% of the revenue. They take 50 freaking percent. Wow. Okay. So, 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 these, so the, basically he goes through, you know, the, all, I don't know whether it's he or she, but the writer goes through the numbers and just shows that basically, okay, fair enough. Maybe I do get a lot of people, but ultimately to do the same, you know, if I get 500 customers, I get a certain amount of money and I have a lot of work and a lot of hassle and there's a lot of different things, but I only need 125 customers to just get the same thing. And I, I can build it up slowly. So, I, so I'm building kind of repeat customers versus flash in the pan customers. Well, it's kind of like the tech crunch effect. You know, it's like yeah. you, you get a, va- a huge number of people come to your site, check it out, which is like you're excited about because, you know, I need people to become aware of this thing I've built. And maybe if, a, if some percentage of them like it, then they'll start using it. I have early adopters and they'll spread the word. But, you know, that may be true. But, but the side effect is, or what really happens is that huge percentage of this, of your TechCrunch traffic are just looky-loos. They're just coming by, they're going to click on it, check it out for a few minutes, and they're on. They're not to the next thing on TechCrunch. So they're not even going to care or spend any time. Not, it's not good traffic. And the Groupon traffic might be the same thing. It, it, it just may not, they may not be a good uh, customer base because they're just there for the one-time uh, benefit and they're off to the next uh, deal and it's just it just costs you a lot and, but the, the thing is as a small business what makes it worse is that it actually costs you money I mean okay if your server goes down that you know as a website that's not as big deal than if you have like some small business and you just lost four thousand dollars you know yeah. in the day because you had to discount everything and all your employees are pissed off and frustrated because they had to work like a 12 or 15 hour day and you had, you had too many people to, to handle so so it gave me an idea ah yeah. Well, speak, this, Justin. Tell us the idea. Okay. Why don't people like you and me who have web properties do our own Groupon? 
And I don't mean collectively, I mean for each website. So for example, Plugio, I could create my own Groupon concept and basically somewhere on the site say, if 100 people sign up to this deal, I'll give you 50% off. I'll basically give you a year's subscription for 50% off. And you can promote your own Groupon deal via the various different channels that you say, for example, with your blog post or whatever. And you can do the same thing and say, you know, if 100 people sign up within two days, then the deal's on or it's not. So that way you don't lose 50%, but you get the Groupon effect. So you, oh, okay. Um, well, you know what you could do? Okay, so it's kind of like a distributed peer-to-peer um, web-based Groupon? No, 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 no. It's just, it's not, it's not even that complex. It's just that- Not peer-to-peer, I, but I mean, it's, so it's like, but it's a collective- It's just group. I as Plugio, I, basically, I, at the moment, the only kind of deal I have on my site is that you can go up to the sign-up page and you can buy a subscription, right? How about if I just created my own little Groupon system and said- Look, if 100 people sign up within the next two days, I'll give, every, I'll give all of those 100 people a year's worth of uh, Plugio for 50%. Okay, well, that's, okay, that's only part of it, though, because uh, part of the, the, what makes the Groupon game work is that they have a huge channel of subscribers, people who get the daily email or something. So the problem is that you're trying to, you're trying to reach new people. Well, so, so what you do is in your, that's what I'm saying, you, you kind of have that deal and then you put it out in your blog posts, right? You put it out in your various different marketing. Because, I mean, they'll always, be, I guess you look at your traffic, you say, okay, this is how many people I have coming to my site. Because, I mean, I know that I have between 60 and 100 people a day coming to my site, right? And I have certain people signing up for free. So you kind of look at the, how much traffic you have coming and what kind of, awesome deal you would be able to do that would grab a certain percentage of that traffic if it was really good because what because weren't you saying that that uh, uber uh did did some research and found out that if the price was lowered just way more people would do it kind of thing so yeah maybe, they've been experimenting with that yeah and they definitely had some um they definitely have found out that when the price is lower they get a big jump so basically you could do your you know your own kind of groupon concept i don't know it was probably well, stupid, I, I, I think I, th- I think you want to. I think there's one extension you want to make that could work. Um, what you could do is get like a collective, so you get you know 50 sites like Plugio that maybe not yeah. competitive, but might be in and have a similar customer base. And uh, when somebody else, somebody from the collective, everybody gets a turn, right? And so when you're on the site and and, and it's okay, so Plugio's up, then all the other 49 members of the collective advertise the deal on their blog and, uh, and or email list or whatever, right? And they get point kind of karma points within the collective, w- the more customers they drive to you. And uh, so when you give a certain amount of karma points, it's your time up or something. Like you get, uh, you know, you get uh, to, to do your deal. Okay, that's a good idea. So, so rather than sharing percentages of revenue, it's just that each, each one of those people will get up on the collective. That's a, that's a nice, nice little twist to it. Because but the problem is, is that you, you need to, you're trying to increase your reach. I mean, that's, you're trying to increase your visibility. And, you know, if you're just saying, well, I have a discount, everybody, you know, that's, that's only part of the equation. I mean, you want to reach, you know, 10 times or 100 times your current, current audience and entice them to check you out because of the deal. So how do you get more people? Well, Groupon has done the work of building these gi- ginormous email lists. But if you 
pull together 10 or 20 or 100 different uh, sort of web applications, websites um, who all watch, um, who want, all want to participate, then you can sort of help each other out by, you know, okay, now it's your day, you get to drive traffic. And maybe if you're a bigger site, you get, um, you know, more frequently you get to do deals or you have some way of sort of making it a little more fair because if you have, because like if, if I have like 100,000 people, you know, on my email list and you have 50, it's, I'm not really going to want to be in the same group with you. Well, I'm uh-huh. glad that you mentioned email lists because that's that's kind of the point that I'm making here, right? So I've got, I don't know, 7,000 people on my free emailing list for Plugio, right? Okay. And I've never really been able to convert them. But if I did this Groupon concept and set and basically on Plugio had this, if 100 people from this mail out sign up, then you can all get you can all get Plugio for 49. So all of a sudden, I would have released $5,000 from that mailing list that I may not have had the opportunity to release. I think you call it Group Groupio or Groupio. Group, <laughs> groupio, groupio, groupio. groupio. I right. think it'd work. Actually, I think that would work. So, uh, yeah, yet another idea that we don't have time for. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. I still can't believe I'm doing two startups at the same time uh, as side projects. Appignite right. and Anyfu is just crazy. I mean, I'm actually going to write a blog post about that. I think the the title is going to be "Why Launch One Startup When You Can Launch Two for Twice the Price." <laughs> Which is from which is from the movie uh, Contact with Jodie Foster, if you remember, <laughs> when the, when the first sort of uh, I don't I don't know what that machine was called when the first one exploded and Jodie Foster's really depressed and then that billionaire picks her up and there's his uh, Zeppelin and she's he's like you know uh, why build one we can build two for twice the price you know that's kind of the secret of government funding and then they yeah you know reveals the the second machine that's in uh, Japan somewhere with any food. That's re- that has that really invaded your work week? I mean, because because from my perspective, it was just you know one meeting with the designer and then maybe another thirty minute chat that we had. Did it, well, yeah, what else because I, I noticed, like for instance, yesterday being Saturday, I got a ton of work done for one of my clients because I didn't have any emails. I didn't. Nobody was popping up on Skype. Nobody was emailing me. I didn't have any phone calls. It was just you know two different. Two uh, separate, I guess, two-hour blocks of complete silence and solitude, and I just got a ton of work done. But during the week, if any, okay, well, I'm back and forth with Daniel, or you're asking me what about this, or here's a new version of the character from Scotty, and I'm back and forth like five different emails. All we need is an Illustrator file. I need to send that to Daniel. When are we talking with Daniel? And then you and I have a like a meta discussion about design or whatever we talk about. I mean, it's just lots of interruptions, which for when you're trying to write code, as you know, are, are deadly. The context switching is deadly. So it's just, it's just the interruption. It's, uh, you know, you have to somehow, if, if the, the total hours could be a lot less if... Uh, I see, but this the context is the issue. If it was all like, oh, come, I'm taking care of all of this for one hour. But it, because, it, because of all the emails back and forth, it, it, it disrupts me. And I, I guess what I could do is just refuse to answer emails except like once a day or twice a day. But I have this habit of this sort of zero inbox sort of mentality where I'm trying to get, respond to emails as quickly as they come in and just get them off my to-do list. Well, I notice with, um, with Plugio, I, I get support requests. And I, because I definitely don't have zero inbox or inbox zero. So I just kind of put the, put the stuff on the stack. But by the end of the day, I'm like, I am stressed out because I'm thinking, oh God, there's five, you know, customer emails that I need to answer. But I will answer them all in one chunk. I'll just kind of wait for the pressure to, to build up <laughs> to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to answer those five. 
You well, know? that's smarter. I and mean, that's a better strategy because you don't have the context switch. You, then you just get in the zone of responding and, uh, and chances are there's, there's, uh, customer support emails will, have, might, will be related in some way. At least your brain will be in the mode of dealing with them. Um, and if you try and answer like one every half hour in between coding sessions, I think that's probably more distracting. Could you do that? I mean, would you consider, you know, putting a, I just have I like a little to-do label on um, within Gmail. And, and you know, having that to-do label, that that's the reason why I can do it. Because I say, I take that email, I click on it, and I apply the to-do label. And that feels like I've taken an action on that topic. So it lets me kind of let go of it a little bit. So, did you see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's sort of tri- by triaging it. Not actually yeah. solving it, but just triaging it. it yeah, uh, could you do something like that? Probably could in some ways. But, you know, in terms of any foo, it's like, you know, I get, uh, I get an... Like, I can tell you're blocking on me. Like, you're asking me something, or Daniel's asking me something, or Scotty's asking me something, and there's blocking, right? Like, Scotty's right. like, which file does Daniel need? Daniel's like, well, I need this. And you're like, well, have you gotten this, the latest version of this file? And, you know, everybody's, like, waiting for me to say something, right? Or nothing. And so I feel like, okay, well, look, here, Daniel, do this. Scotty, here's this. You know, this is what happened, Justin. And, you know, everybody's happy, and everybody has what they need. But so, yeah, I mean, that's how Inifu is... is, is um, interrupts me it's not like there's like a support email for any food it's just sort of um i feel like i'm sort of like uh well i mean i'm sure you're the same feel the same way it's just that we have a lot of different pieces moving you know one of the things that we wanted to talk about well that i wanted to talk about did we talk about it on the last show about this this the split payment thing and whether that was the way to go or i don't know if we talked about it very much in, in very in much detail i still haven't had a chance to re i've um i have it bookmarked and i got printed out which is this the adapt the paypal adaptive payments Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, well, let's let's learn up on it. Let's let's study up on it, and then we'll talk about it next show. Yeah, because spending a lot of time speculating on it is probably yeah. helpful or interesting. So, but uh, we do need to know about it. So, um, we'll talk. We'll we'll uh, we'll definitely do the research uh, and share what we learned. So, but something that's kind of related that we want to talk a little bit about is the idea of starting an LLC versus just doing a partnership. Um, and there's a couple related things. So, one is. The idea of doing an LLC is probably something we want to do, or at least not doing it in a partnership, because if we're having people sign contracts with Inifu, whether it's experts or, uh, or clients and uh, of any kind, if we, six months down the road, say we're not Inifu, you know, we're not just Inifu, a partnership, we're Inifu LLC, then all those contracts have to be redone because it's a different entity, right? So that's something that is worth considering, um, in, in our case, at least for any food, because we had talked about, oh, it's great. You can start a partnership. You don't have to spend, you know, whatever it was, a $300 filing fee for $850 California LLC fee. Um, you can just maybe do that six months down the road. So listen up, Rob, uh, this, this, because we'd, we'd like to hear your opinion about this. Yeah. So basically it's, it seems like if we do, if we do get the LLC, it could end up saving us money in the short term. And it's a lot of headache because as Jason says, we would have to rewrite all of the contracts that we sign. And anyone who signs up to any foo essentially will, will need to sign some kind of contract with us um, about, well, the, the, I guess the 1099 stuff, but also the IP stuff. Yeah. And and that really all depends, I guess we probably need to talk to an attorney about this, but it really all depends on who's paying who, whom. So if, for instance, if the client pays the expert directly, they don't pay us, we just get a split 10%, then the contracts hopefully can be written between the expert and the client, you know, or something. But I'm not exactly sure that works. I think maybe what we, 
I, I don't know, but in order to facilitate the contracts may have to be through us so that people don't have to repeatedly sign contracts. Yeah, because um, yeah, we don't want them to do lots of work, right? So that when you say that, the way you say it, it makes it sound like, oh, God, that's a lot of work for, for it the is. contractor. And for well, that, well, that's one of the values work. that we're bringing is that, you know, when you get a new client, um, a freelance client, you, you usually have to, you have, to use, you have to do two or three steps. One, you need to sign an NDA. So they, they, they're, they, they email you some you know, Word doc or PDF and you read through it and you got to sign it and fax it back to them. And then they say, okay, well, here's a RIPs, you know, contract. So if you do any work, you know, we have, you know, rights to use whatever, and it belongs to us, that kind of stuff. And then of course their HR department gets a contact and say, okay, well, you need to send us a, you know, whatever it is, a, a W9 or I can't, I can't remember which form it is. And, uh, and you got to fill this out. So you have all these things that are, which you have to do all these annoying things you have to fill out, print out, sign, scan, fax, whatever. And that's fine if you have, if you're going to have like a three month contract or, or longer, right? It's just, that's just sort of the, the setup cost, right? And just like when you take a new job, you have to sign tons of paperwork and there's a huge setup cost for taking a new job. Well, if you're going to do like three hours of work or five hours of work or something, it's just not remotely worth the headache of doing that. And so we're going to try and remove all that in addition to all the payment stuff um, so that it's it's just seamless. But well, how are we going to remove it? I mean, do you have any ideas? Is it that basically, I don't know, there'll be some page where you click a button and you'll say, by clicking this button, you agree to and sign, you know, assign all of these documents and, and there's like a bunch of PDFs attached. Yeah, I'm hoping that maybe, it. yeah, I'm hoping something like that, yeah. yeah. They click it and then the PDFs get mailed to both parties with their kind of electronic signature. Well, how do they do that on Odesk and Elance? Because you've, you've been both a uh, client and an, and an expert or, or a provider on those services. And I know they do stuff like that. Well, the way Odesk does it is basically when you sign up for an Odesk account in the first place, you um, have to, it's just basically in the terms and conditions. So basically, it's like a one-time signing, and you say, okay, by, by clicking this checkbox and signing to these term and, terms and conditions, you agree that for every customer that you interact with in the future, you'll, you've signed an NDA for them, that also that you've signed you know, IP restrictions with them so that they own, the, they own the, the IP of anything that you program for them, et cetera, et cetera. So they just sign it once up front, and then it's like a blanket statement for all of the future customers but the other thing that odesk do is they'll basically say look you know if anyone breaks these we'll we'll kind of fight on your behalf yeah well so that's that's probably what we'll end up doing i mean that that makes sense that's seamless it seems to be kind of a blanket um solution and the the other thing is that when you're working with someone for a short period of time and you're sort of sharing your screen with them there's a little less on the line than as if you're doing a long long-term contract and people they have access to your web server and all your code base right because you're only showing them you know here's some here are our sql queries and our database tables and we got some problem and they work with you for a couple hours you know i mean it's like how much visibility do they have into anything um or you know here's our you know our, our ruby on rails team and we want you to get us to speed on our spec and, and you know it's like you know, it's like, and you do some kind of video conference slash screen sharing. It's not like, it's, it's not as much at risk, right? It's very, it's very controlled by the client uh, in terms of what is being shown to the experts. So it's, you, they, they probably have a less need to have really, um, I don't know, I don't know which, how I'd say it, but just lockdown contracts. I think a blanket vanilla contract that they've signed with us probably would be enough. But if they have to, if they sign that contract with us, whatever that contract is, it's going to be with whatever entity we, you know, 
create the contract with, right? So if it's any foo, any foo LC, any foo corporation, whatever. And so if we go around changing things and everybody has to re-sign the contracts, or all the, all the experts and potentially clients have to re-sign the contracts. So changing topics, if you don't mind. Well, actually I have one, uh, two other pieces that are related. Okay, shoot. And talk about. Well, the other idea I had was um, if, we, if we create an LLC, for instance, it shouldn't be any foo LLC, but it should be named something else. Because what if we get uh, any foo up and rolling and it's making some progress, and then we're like, hey, we want to crank out this other project that, you know, six Which months or a year. Which sounds kind now, of right? like us, right? Well, it is. pretty I, likely. I, I would count on it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, pretty much. Well, what is it you and I like to do? Which is like we like to launch. So we like to create little companies and software, and we launch stuff, and it might turn out that uh, we have uh, other ideas. We're no Rob Walling, but we do like to do it, you know, dibble, dibble and dabble here and there. Well, you know, R- Rob, his, his micropreneur approach, which is that he would have, you know, a dozen or so really small properties. But you and I might work more like some of these incubators, like uh, what was like um, Evan Williams is doing and uh, Kevin Rose is doing. Where they're like, I think Kevin Rose is called Milk. I'm, I'm not sure what um, – Evan Williams is, is, but, uh, you know, they just, they're like, we're going to do, we have a small team of six people. We're going to do a series of, of, of products that we're going to launch. And I think that's yeah. what you and I would love. And we always talk about like, what would be the most fun thing in the world to, what would, what would you love to do? And it's to be like, have a small company of a dozen or so people. And then just, you know, every, we're just working on at any given time, three or four different projects. And, and, you know, we have designers we use and we have, uh, you know, our own developers and we just, launch all this stuff and see what happens. And uh, I, since you and I both like that kind of stuff and have the capability to do it, if any, any food starts showing some success and then like you, we decide, hey, this group IO idea is pretty cool. Let's just do it, you know, or let's do another one. And, um, you know, it would be easier if we already had a, a, a generic LLC or sort of a, um, I guess, a parent LLC in place so that we didn't have to, because it would be kind of weird if like we, we, we launched something else and it was also any foo because it's not any foo. So is that is that your main point? Just that you're making right now, we're going to start an LLC company, but basically don't call it Anyfu. Yeah. So if we if we called it um, X Y Z, uh, you know, is our LLC or something, and it launches Anyfu, um, and then we launch something else, it would be fine. It wouldn't seem so strange if it was if it was uh, you know if they if it was named Anyfu. But also, if Anyfu. If we wanted to Anyfu later, I think we could transfer it. Like we could create a if we, let, let's say that Anyfu started to do well, and six months or a year from now, we're like, you know what, this is doing well. Not only that, we see a competitor on the horizon. We might want to actually raise money for this because we need to create some distance. We need to grow faster to sort of get a little, uh, get a little, um, build a little bit of a moat. <laughs> I mean, I'm not yeah. even sure that's possible. I'm just saying that that, that is, it is it's conceivable. Um, but I'm not, you know, then you'd want if you to raise money from investors, you've got to be a C corp. You can't. You really they don't, most um, uh, investors aren't going to want to do it with an LLC. So we would have to transform the LLC into a C Corp anyway. But if XYZ, uh, our LLC, had uh, any phone, we just, all right, let's just transfer the assets to this C Corp or did some kind of little thing like that. So what name would you like to call this? Uh... Well, my proposed name is, fr- is, is Fringe Division. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> I think that's the name. Because uh, you know, we're both that's super geek. geekery. That's super geekery. Ge- geekery taken to its ultimate uh, extent. <laughs> well, we're just <laughs> kind of on the fringe. It's kind of cutting edge. It's kind of a little crazy. You know, we're both fans of the, fringe, of the show Fringe. And uh, I just thought, it'd be, I thought it was really kind of a fun name. I, although, when I told Sandy, she just rolled her eyes and was like, oh my God. She's well, like, we could always so- call it 
Walternet. Walternet, yeah, that's even worse. <laughs> All right. So, oh, the, the final thing, a related thing, was uh, the idea of, a, of of an operating agreement. I think Ben Boyder brought it up in the comments. Is he wanted to hear what our thoughts were on creating an operating agreement? So this is between you and me, and um, I mean, I guess the kind of thing that it would cover would be. It should cover things like, you know, what happens if you die or if I die? Like, what happens to our percentage? Also, what happens if one of us pulls out earlier rather than later? That kind of thing. I think you should just say Jason is the boss of Justin, and that's pretty much it. How about that? I was thinking, I mean, I I quite like where you're coming from. I mean, I can understand it from your perspective, but from my perspective, I feel a little bit differently. All right. Well, I think what we need to do is um, if we need to find a... um, we need to find like a, I, I mean, I've have, I have like probably half a dozen LLC sort of vanilla operating agreements and we're going to find something that's really short and succinct and that uh, you and I can disagree and go through all the special cases. Well, okay. One, one case I want to talk to you about was what happens if, um, well, like how, how long do we each need to be in it where, Oh no, I'm not. I'm not expressing this correct. Okay, you know the way that that like shares vest. Yeah. Right. You know options vest. I I had an idea. Maybe you know maybe we should do something like our stake in this company vests based on the amount of time that we kind of stay devoted and dedicated. So for example, let's say um, we both start with zero percent, and then after one year we end up with a quarter of our potential percent, and then after two years we end up with another quarter. And then that way, if after two years I decide, okay, I'm, you know, I've had enough of this, I want to go off and do something else, then you would end up with, you know, the the eighty percent of the company or whatever, and you you could then continue to work on it. What do you think of some kind of idea like that? Yeah, well, let's call it vesting of founder share, founder share vesting, and I think it's usually yeah. like around four years. And I, I was just reading on some blog, some startup lawyer advice about this, and. You know, that makes sense. I mean, I think you'd have to put in some special clauses because if um, if you sold the company, then everything gets accelerated. You know, if it's like if you start a company and then you sell it a year later or two years later, it grows really quickly and you find a buyer and you're like, when would it sell? Then, then you need, just need to get 50%. Like you basically yeah. just get, yeah. But see, the difference between, there's sort of there's sort of two separate worlds. The whole the whole world, when they, a lot of times I talk about startups and also startup advice, it's really for venture-funded C corporation. So it's really about we're getting investment. Um, we're paying ourselves salaries as employees. We have shares in this corporation that are vesting over time. And then, okay, so at some point you're either hoping for either A, an IPO, or more likely an acquisition. All right. Now, if you're an if you're a bootstrap startup, you're not you don't have any intention of raising money. You think raising money is unlikely, and it's just something you're going to do on the side. And just like Plugio, you're paying yourself out of. You're taking the profits and just living off those profits, right? And if you and I started do start making money through Anyfoo, and let's say we make ten grand a month, and it's just you and I working on it, I mean, we're going to each, you know, we're going to probably keep some money in to pay for hosting and you know, additional maybe design work for the designers or whoever else we're paying to help us out. But let's say we pay, we, we take out half of that, of the profits, 5,000, we split it 25, 25. It does seem unlikely that we would, that one of us would all of a sudden walk away and start from working, working on it. I mean, I can imagine a scenario where you would, would be if it was just not being successful. So, so this is the kind of scenario where, where this kind of thing would happen. So we start working on it. We both put loads of effort into it. it. It's not successful. It's not really earning any money. And then I'm like, or you're like, oh, this is, this is, you know, I've, 
I can work on something else that's going to be better for me. But then the other guy says, you know what, I, I'm going to stick this out. And they then stick it out for another year and then they build success of it. That's the point where the guy who's stuck with it deserves most of the credit and the guy who didn't just deserves something for being there at the beginning. Well, there's there's two scenarios. The one where things uh, succeed really well and then they fail. So you're talking about a situation where it's not really doing well. But there's another situation where um, – you know, what about if it's doing well, but something else is doing better, right? Like, let's say that, you know, Plugios is taking off or Appignite starts taking off. Any food is showing promise, it's growing, but it's not as big a deal. And right. one or the other of us starts diverting more of our time to this other project. So if I'm spending, if all of a sudden Appignite is, is really taking off and I'm kind of just, I'm doing, I'm doing any food, but I'm kind of half-assing it. And you have to constantly ask me three times, get me to do anything. You're going to get frustrated. You're like, listen, you know, you're putting in maybe five hours a week. I'm putting in five hours a day. You know, this has been going on for, you know, three months. It's kind of BS, right? You know, it's like that you have to have some way of, of dealing with that. So I, you know, I don't know. I mean, hopefully some of it can be sorted out by just, you know, if, when you just have two partners, you can usually sort something out, but you need to have everything down on paper because as my experience, if it's not written down, it doesn't uh, exist. And, you know, these, but what about if, like, what about if one of us die and let, let's say, let's say we're like, I don't know, we, we get to a point where the project is just launched, right. And, uh, it's, it's starting to show a bit of success. And then one of us drops down dead. Then what happens to that 50% of the company? Does that go to our wife? Yeah, well, usually what you want to do, I think in that case is you would say that um, maybe you would pay some percentage of the, um, you'd do like a one payment within like a certain period of time based on revenue, some multiple of that, um, or profits or revenue, because it's just, it would kind of screw up the company. It would be unfair if one or the other of us had our wife sort of involved, but they're not really doing anything, right? They just own it. They they have others, they have, uh, they have, they're going to have, a million other things that are more important to them than this little company, you know, unless yeah. the company is, is wildly successful, but they're still going to be like, you know, they have other, you know, their husband just died, right? you know, what, yeah, yeah. And th- th- this is something they were doing that, you know, they, so you're going to say, okay, well, he, but and to make it simple, you'd be like, okay, so you pay four times revenue or, uh, you know, eight times profit or what, whatever the number is. And, uh, based on you know, the last three months of, you know, income or, or something like that. And you come up with some real vanilla, straightforward calculation and then you pay it to them. But that you know? wouldn't be fair because I mean, that's to me, it seems like that wouldn't be fair because if let's, I mean, we've been, we've been talking about and working on it for two years at this stage. Right. So that, so there's a lot of uh, effort invested from both of us and a lot of thinking time. Right. So then let's say three months after it launches, one of us pops and then, you know, based on what you just said, like they would get, you know, three times revenue or whatever from that period, but they no, wouldn't no, be no, no revenue because no, it would just be at the beginning. Yeah. No, no, no. So, but you're extrapolating because you don't know yet you, that you value the company. You, you come up with some kind of standard metric for evaluation of a company, I think. And you have to come up with something that's like, that's reasonable, you know, and, and I can't remember what it is. It's like four times revenue or two times, you know, revenue. And it's, it's like the, you can't do something that's absolutely ridiculous because then you're going to create a situation where the existing partner is going to be like, well, screw it. I quit. You know, this is stupid. I'm not going to think they should get something for the next couple of years, personally, some sort of small, small pay thing. Well, something know? like that. I mean, you could, you could say, you know, well, you know, from that point forward, you know, you could say, well, payment will happen within six months and we based on the trailing 12 months and it'll be two times revenue, four times revenue and payment has to be made. It can be a pay, a payment, 
uh, it doesn't have to be an all one bulk payment. It can be a payment plan that lasts over the next two or three years or something. I mean, something like that, something reasonable. Right, right. You know, I don't know. So, but yeah, we, we definitely, we should write some things down and I don't know what all the other special cases are. I'd have to think about them, but I think the one of us dying scenario is much less likely than one of us loses interest or gets distracted by other things. Yeah. That's way, way more likely, you know, that, that could happen. <laughs> Yeah, well, given the, our, both of our uh, past history of being distracted by things, definitely. But I usually stick with things. I don't quit. I've, you know, everything I've done, I've stuck with. So you don't have to worry about me quitting. Uh, I think that's, but, you know, you should worry about it on a legal document. It should be written down. But for practicality, that, you know, I, stuck, I stick with stuff. So you ready for a new topic? Yeah. Okay, so I keep being sent review copies of Domino Project books um, since I got that book from Derek Sivers. Um, I don't know for whatever reason, but uh, anyway, I'm I'm now on the list of being sent books to review. I don't know what Dom oh. Project books are. What is it's, it? I mean, it's just it's a label of, of the publisher. Books that are, they're sold. I think they're sold through Amazon. They're like kind of. It's a publisher. Um, I, I don't even know. To be honest, I don't know. All I'm all I know is I get them in the post, and they they're related to the kind of field that I do. So there was a Derek Sivers book. There was another book about doing meetings in a, in a good way, and then the most recent book I've got is a book by Dan Zarella. Um, called Zarella's Hierarchy of Contagiousness. Mm-hmm. So um, then it has a subtitle called The Science, Design, and Engineering of Contagious Ideas. And it's basically a marketing book and very, very interesting, and I would recommend it. Um, and um, it's actually the book that I've been looking for because it gives practical advice on how to market via content marketing. Kind of got to this point with Plugio where I've got the final, I've got all these different things. And the next thing I need to do is to get traffic to Plugio. How do I do that? And this book is, has really helped me frame how to think about doing that. Um, so the kind of advice that it gives you are things like the best time to release new content, uh, the most effective headline style to use, the most effective type of content to release. So take, for example, and, and, and the, the information that he gives, it's not just stuff that he, he's made up. It's stuff that it's basically quantitatively tested with, you know, millions. In fact, in some cases, billions of, of different messaging and content and stuff that's been sent out with various different clients that he's been working with. So best time to release new content. Where, when would you think that might be? I don't know. Be more specific. Like what kind of content are you talking about? Okay. So a, blo- so a blog post, right? So I th- I mainly I'm talking about good, good blog posts and things like that that can bring traffic to your site right now. When would you when would you envision envision the best time to release uh, the latest Jason Roberts po- uh, blog post for me? You mean like time of the week, time of the year? Yeah, but no, t- I, I guess time of the time of the week and time of the day. Um, I don't know. I've tended to always do it at like on like a Tuesday or Wednesday around ten a.m. That's just okay. because I do it. Hacker News is sort of my distribution channel, and I feel like that's a good time because that's when. The people on the West Coast are kind of waking up and checking their, they're kind of checking their RSS feed and Hacker News. And the people, uh, it's just after lunch, around lunchtime on the East Coast, so people are kind of taking a break and, you know, you know reading, reading Hacker News. So that's, that's what I do. And then, then if it takes off, you have the whole rest of the day for people to be reading it. So if you release it, if you release it at not late at night, and it could just, in a, it might be a front page, but you have like a tenth of traffic. So I'm really glad that you said that, because that is what everyone thinks. And... Because everyone thinks that um, a bulk of blog posts are written around that time, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. 
And it so it so turns out that when people are writing blog posts, what they what they're doing is they're researching online for other information and other posts that they can reference, and they'll put those links in their post. So it so in in the long run, he's found that the best time to actually release content like that is usually at six a.m. in the morning, because if your content is released just before, then it's gonna it's gonna come up in the blog search engines, and people will then link to your stuff. But there's also something else is it's on on a Saturday, if you release a blog post on a Saturday, it's going to um, usually be more effective because it's going up against less competition for the day. So you have more chance of breaking through the kind of uh, noise barrier on a, yeah. on a lower day. Okay, so that's, you know, that's why it's interesting to talk about specific versus general advice. So the question is, what's going to work for Hacker News and what's going to work generally on, like, say, your blog post, right? So if you have, if you don't have like a big blog uh, readership, you know, uh, you know, you don't have ten thousand RSS, re- you know, readers, so that when RSS, RSS subscribers, so that when you release something, some percentage of them are going to see your article and then write something based on it. If what you're trying to do is get that thing on the front page of Hacker News and sit there all day, which is my strategy. I'm not sure that's true because I don't think he's talking about Hacker News and he's talking about something different. And that's why I don't think that would work as well for Hacker News. You, if you do it at six in the morning. Um, cause, well, with, with Hacker know. News in specific, what he was, well, there, there's a difference between, because Hacker News is, is a two-stage process. One of them is writing and releasing a blog post. And one well, of them writing, is writing is something you're going to write over days. And you know, when you're re- writing is completely different. It's when you release it. It's important. Well, no, because releasing the blog post is different to submitting it to Hacker News. Well, I don't know. That's when when you release it. That's because if you don't release it, right? You, I mean, you want to re- you want to release that thing, and you want to put Hacker News right away. Because if what's happened to me is I wrote it, and someone and someone submitted it at two in the morning, and there was nobody on there, and it got nothing, you know. And you know, the reality is the 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 reality is that when you release some Hacker News, you need at least a few of your close friends who who have hopefully read it and liked it to give them a an upvote. You have to do a boost. If you don't do that, your chances of getting the front page are, are very low. Well, but the other, the other I mean, the, the piece of his advice that does work for the Hacker News is basically don't do it during the week. Don't do it during busy times. Do it during quiet times. Do it, you know, at the end of the day, like at maybe uh, 6, 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. at the end of the day, or do it early on a Saturday or a Sunday. And, and to be honest, I've, I've found this, that um, anything that I've released over the weekend has been much more successful in Hacker News than anything yeah, in the week. Yeah, that's been absolutely the opposite of my effect. I mean, every one I, I launched, the ones that I got the biggest juice on, the two biggest ones were how I'm bootstrapping a startup while raising three kids and how I screwed up my Google acquisition. Both got massive uptake and pinged to number one for a long period of time. And I released them at those times at 10 a.m. at like Tuesday or Thursday or something at the latest. So, so that, that's crazy because that is the absolute busiest time of Hacker yeah, if your News. Stuff so, is good enough, if your stuff is good enough, I mean, if you've got a real bell ringer, that's when you want to do it. If your stuff is kind of on the cusp that you're not sure it's, it's good, but it may not be. I mean, I knew how I screwed up my Google acquisition was going to number one. I was pointing, it was like in baseball, I was pointing to left field. This is going all the way. And it did. <laughs> I mean, I spent like eight hours. I rewrote it four times. I knew it had a story, had a great title. I knew it. I knew it was going. And it did. So, but the other ones, which I was like, you know what, this is good. I think, I think it can make it the front page. I might be a little more conservative about what you're talking about. So I think it's, I think it's really a matter of, um, you know, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, 
you think of if you're playing baseball, it's like the pitcher is the time of day. So if you're going to get some awesome pitcher, you might just try and punt it or just hit something and just try and get on first base. If this guy's kind of weak, you're like, I'm swinging, I'm swinging for the fences. So I think and I, I should actually say um, it depends on, uh, I guess they, it also depends on really like the quality. So it's not just the pitch at the time of day, but it's, it's the uh, quality of what you think you're releasing. How, how good is this going to, how, how much, um, is this going to entice people to want to read it? So I guess, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, the other thing here is that, that this book is talking about different campaigns that he's done and it's, it's, there's huge amounts of statistics involved and what you're talking about is, you know, your specific use case, right? Well, that's, so that's why I always think it's really important that you take general advice and, and try and dissect where their, where their data is derived from. Like, you know, what kind of posts, what is their distribution channels? Um, what are they talking? What kind of software? Who's their market? All, Cause all that's important. And, and that's why, like when you talk to founders who are very successful, they just really have developed a deep understanding of their customer base, their market and how to read it. And so if not, you'd find all this generic advice. So like you, you hear all this advice about startups, this startups, that, and you have to understand that oftentimes they're generally talking about consumer venture back startups. They're not talking about enterprise. They're not talking about bootstrap. They're not talking about stuff to go to businesses and you just have to dissect it. So, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things in, the, in this, in this book that are probably very, very useful, but his advice is like any other general advice, weigh it against first principles and what you understand to be the truths about your particular situation. Another interesting concept that, that he had was the depth of contagion that the idea had. So for example, you, you could have a contagious tweet that basically you tweeted out with a link or with something that you said, and that would get like a short burst of, of contagion and it would be tweeted amongst a few people. And, you know, maybe it goes a thousand times or whatever. So that's like, on, that's on the, like the micro contagion scale. And right. then on the macro contagion scale is something like religion where basically, you know, your parents will spend a lifetime telling you about, you know, your, your formative years about this concept, this idea. And then you will spend the rest of your life brainwashing you mean? With that and talking about that. <laughs> that so that's, that's like deep level contagion. Yeah. Deep level contagion is, I think, probably the same thing as brainwashing practically. We're going to tell you this until you believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, it, it was, it was, it was, destruction. I recognize <laughs> weapons of mass destruction. I rec- okay. Everybody believes it, you know? Yeah. 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 But it, I, th- I just thought it was interesting that there's, there's this scale of contagion. And then he also had this concept of, you know, the most effective headline style to use, like is, well, there was another thing that, you know, the, the simpler an idea is, the more contagious it is, you know, so the, the faster, the, the less words that the idea can be expressed in and the yeah, simpler language. Yeah. yeah. And also if a headline uses words that speaks to the person, then it's more likely to be contagious. So if, if the headline contains words like you and your, then when you read it, it's kind of, it becomes personal and it cuts through the clutter, you know? So that's another, another little that, thing, you know, cause I, you know, I've done a lot of sort of, I don't know. And I, I, w- I haven't done uh, a data analysis, but just sort of thinking hard and watching hacker news and what takes off. And I've read a number of uh, posts about like the frequency of words, shorter posts, longer posts, posts that say this, posts that say that about what works. And I don't know. I don't know if we could boil it down to a formula quite that simplistic. I think, yeah, I think if you could say, if you can make it personal, if you can make it fit. So for instance, can I give you, do you mind if I give you a little, uh, a little anecdote here? Sure. Um, so a uh, friend of mine, Pat Maddox, who's a big Ruby RSpec guy, he, um, he had a post he wrote called, um, 
called How I How I I was something like How I Missed My Opportunity to Retire at Twenty or something along those lines. And I got flagged within like thirty seconds as sort of spammy because I think he said how I the retired thing came across that way, which right. I thought was sort of an overzealous moderator. I you know I, we, he was kind of shocked by that. I said, well, you know, any with any regulation, uh, there's going to be false positives and you know, and they're going to be they're going to be stuff they're going to miss. And so I think yours is false positive, but um, so I told him to uh, I said here's maybe here's how you rewrite it say how a coding obsession uh, screwed up my startup or killed my startup. So you mentioned two things. You talk about coding obsession, which is, gonna, which is going to really uh, work well on Hacker News, and you talk about startup, which is going to you know, work on Hacker News. So you had two things, and it was personal. And uh, you know, I think that's kind of sometimes how you want to think about it is, is, is kind of hit some hot buttons that people are going to care about, things are going to be interesting. But it was kind of funny because, you know, I have, uh, he, he, he said, hey, do you mind submitting it for me? Oh, and what I, what I said, did he do? I said, look, I think you got a false positive here. I maybe change the post a little bit, repost on a different URL, and try again tomorrow with a new toast. Because if you, if you, if you continually try and repost the same article, the same URL, you're going to get flagged as a spammer. Right. So um, if you change things up, maybe give it one more shot a couple days, I said, maybe, maybe you know, that'll work. And, and uh, he, he did that. And I, he said, do you mind submitting it for me? Because he's like, I feel like maybe that was a problem. I said, fine, I'll submit it. And, and then I submit it, and I'm watching it, and it's got one point. It's going on the front page. And I'm like, dude, you're not even going to upvote your own post, <laughs> you know? And so he, I, and I'm emailing. I'm like, look, you got like 10 minutes left. You got like five minutes left. You better vote. You better, you know, if you have like a one or two friends of yours who may have read this or, you know, you need at least a few sort of sympathetic votes just to give you a heave-ho to get on the front page for like five minutes. And um, he didn't do that. And uh, so then, of course, it went off the front page. And I called back. And when he got back, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know I, didn't know I should do that. I just went and walked my dog. Yeah, my- no, it, it has to be timely. It has to be within the first 10 minutes of releasing it that it has to get a bump onto the bottom of the front page. And then the, the, gen- the regular community will bump it up. But once again, something like that, wow, you know, if you don't release, if you release that during the week, that's, that's going nowhere anyway. Well, here's what the thing is. He, he, got, he, he got some friends to vote it up. And, and so then it weird. It came out of nowhere and popped up onto the front page with like 10 points. So he got a heave-ho onto the front page. But then I read a couple of comments and they were like, yeah, this is kind of a fluff piece, you know. And the reality is in the end, it has to be good, right? I mean, you can, you can if, if you write a good title and maybe you get some friends to help you out and get a few votes, I mean, I think you got to do that. You got to be very careful. I mean, it's one thing to getting, you know, three or four friends to give you a vote up if they liked it. It's another thing to like, you know, go around begging for upvotes. So there's kind of a fine line there. But <clears throat> in the end, it's going to sink or swim based on the quality of the article. And the article was like too short and he didn't go into the details. It was just sort of this fairly high level thing. And I was like, you know, that's right. At the end of the day, you got to have a good idea with a good title and it's got to be good. Well, that you know, I mean, most most people's first attempt at writing a blog post to hit to hit Hacker News is it, isn't going to be successful because you have to you have to learn the, the the tips and tricks. But anyway, that that brings me on to the next point, which is but the end of way, um, but I say the end of way you can there is no trick around it being good. It's got to be good, and it's got to be on topic. It doesn't matter. You can't no trick. No, you can't. You, the people on Hacker News are too smart. You can't trick them. No one's going to upvote it if it's not high quality. So in the end, you just in have come up with a good idea. Come on, just like doing a startup. There's no, there's no trick. Come up with a good idea that people are interested in and do a good job. And it's funny you're you're so stuck and 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 focused on hacker news. And I'm from the beginning of this discussion. 
Hacker News has not been in my mind for for one second. Like I've been talking about just general marketing, just getting blog posts out there to the world that get picked up by the world and get people to your to your site. Like I I don't just don't care about Hacker News. <laughs> but anyway, well that's because um, conti- well that's because for Hacker News, Plugio isn't it's that isn't the market for Plugio. I guess for Hacker News is the market for any foo and app. Yeah, but I mean even even this book and all of this advice that I'm talking about is nothing to do with Hacker well, News. Well, I'm saying I mean, but you're just- trying to apply. You are trying to. You're, I'm just saying. You know, because then you applied it to the idea of when you submit to Hacker News. And I'm saying that stuff I don't think is correct. I mean, that's why I'm saying it's important that you take general advice with a grain of salt and you look at your, the particulars of your situation. You can't just say, well, this is best practice. This applies to everyone, which is bullshit. Actually, I do think it's correct. I think that, um, I think that it's proven out in my experience because... The, what about the, my experience? A, well, because your experience, there's always the outliers. There's always the black swans. <laughs> so I your mean, the truth, truth proves it, and mine are just outliers that get no, no, no. Because because the truth is, as this as as this guy makes very clear in the book, it's you can't you can't create something that is just unbelievably amazing all the time, right? So for a continual marketing effort, you need to put out stuff that's good, you know, rather than amazing. So you just need to put out good stuff, a constant flow of good stuff. So your Google acquisition, yeah, fair enough. I mean, that's that's a bell ringer. You knew you were heading for the fences. But the truth is you, you just can't write one of those blog posts every day or once a week or whatever. It's unlikely to happen. So that's the reason why that can very easily go through in the day because it was just so freaking good it was going to get voted up on Hacker News. Fair enough. If you can knock those out all the time, good play, you know, fair play to you. But what this is talking about is general principles that I kind of agree with because you know when I've pushed stuff through on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning, because there's so much less stuff being pumped into Hacker News, it's way more likely to get voted up. You know what I'm saying? So I think that is a good a good rule of thumb, and I would recommend that to people. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. Fine. But you, you, what what I'm just saying is like, yeah, if you have something good, which I've done too. If I have something I'm not sure is amazing, I might do it in the in the off hours. And yeah. but but he's not. I guess he's not talking about that. So I'm like, you know, that's why an added sort of a degree of subtlety. If it's amazing. Go for it. Do it at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday if it's if you think that's really if it's got the juice. Um, the second thing, and the re- and the reason I talk about Hacker News is for us, or at least for the technology world, there is nothing. There's no force as powerful right now. This is an incredible tool. It's way more powerful than if you got like uh, you know a thousand or two thousand Twitter followers, or you got a couple thousand RSS readers. That doesn't remotely compare in terms of your distribution uh, that you're going to get from Hacker News if you get to that front page. It's like a tsunami that comes and you're surfing. It's like you catch that tsunami. It's just huge. It's amazing. Okay, but, but the, the kind of one of the things that he talks about, and I guess I didn't make this very clear, is that chasing after this, and he makes this at the beginning of the book, is that contagious ideas, it's, diff- it's a different kind of concept to a viral thing like and and when people think of viral marketing they think okay you make the you create this piece of content that's just really good and really viral and you pass it to a few people and they spread it to other people and then that's how it works and what he's saying is is that that is like that can happen and you can be lucky but to to do general marketing that is not a great way to do it you know it's just rare that that works yeah okay fair enough i mean in the end i guess it's like you can't depend on awesome, right? You can't depend on having right, someone like right. Steve Jobs design your product. So, like, we're going to build our strategy around a, the assumption that we have a, a visionary and someone with aesthetic uh, taste as a Steve Jobs. So, we have to go and assume that we have something that's good. So, if, you know, okay. I, okay, I, so, I guess so, I can. All, all, so all of these principles are basically about marketing and creating 
good content and you know consistent marketing so something so then the next thing we're moving on to is what you know what is the most effective type of content to release not you know i guess not the most effective but on a, on a kind of ongoing tip you know um if you're, you're knocking it out every day so he would say try to create content that will directly help the target reader and but as well as that you know try and match that content against your product and your target market so for example after after reading this book, um, I came up with a whole bunch of blog ideas for Plugio that I wouldn't have thought of. I wouldn't have thought of, and wouldn't have made sense to me before reading this book. But now I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense. I can create these blog posts, and I'm pretty sure that I'm going to get something out of it. So, sh- can I go through some of those ideas? Go ahead. And tell you what the, what the blog blog titles are. If in case okay. you forgot, I'm the founding member of the Let Justin Speak. Oh, right. Okay. So, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So here's, here's, after reading the book, I came up with, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six blog post ideas just within like 10 minutes. And I'm going to, I'm going to write them up. And I think this is going to be a great new way for me to market plug in. Okay. Blog post number one, top five tips to become a thought leader on Twitter. Good. Blog post number two, top five tips to find customers via social media. Okay. Blog three. Top five tips to grow your social presence. I'm noticing a pattern here. So basically, one, you know, one of the things he was saying is, is that when you break stuff into smaller chunks, like so go, going along with the, the, the being helpful, being simple, being understandable, creating lists, that's basically all, all, of that, all of that stuff, all of those formulas I've added together. And, you can, and to be honest, when you look around, you can see that there are just hundreds of these kinds of posts that are successful and that are tweeted. And I'm, obviously, I'm not going for Hacker News. I'm just going for Twitter vi- you know, viralness. And I, the, the people who I want to read it are people who are into Twitter. So that's pretty much where I've come up with those books. Well, why do they have to always be top five tips? I mean, can't you rephrase it so it's not the same pa- template every single time? Well, I mean, I, once again, like I just came up with these in just 10 minutes after reading it. But I wanted to think of, uh, to, to get a lot of ideas, bam, 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 bam. Just, yeah, just, because just, I, I just getting started. When you list like five reasons why or 10 this or three that, I mean, that works, but it, all, it also sets off this sort of flag of link bait because it works so well that people now identify it as such. So right. you, you got to be careful not to do that. I mean, maybe the general Twitter, uh, you know, plug audience isn't that sophisticated. Hacker News, you've got to be damn careful of that. Because oh, oh, no, this is not that. for Hacker News. I know, I understand, but I'm just using that as sort of the gen- general tech you know, you know, alpha geek group, you know, I mean, probably Reddit programming, other things like that. You got to be careful because if once people see you're doing something that's like a formula, even if it's, if it's high quality and they think, oh, they're doing this because they're trying to get my attention, it's going to backfire. So you just got to be careful. It's funny because um, Singularity Hub and Gizmodo do that every once in a while. I guess they don't do it all the time, but they do do it every once in a while. And and I think those guys are um, targeted at but I think geeks, do it every but, once in a while. <laughs> I would do every five to do five reasons. I wouldn't do a list every single time. List posts are something you probably want to do every once in a while. You could probably rewrite those posts and, with a different type of title where it doesn't even list. Like you know, and it, it, that, that will be appealing. That'll they'll get people's attention. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's just my two cents on it. But. Yeah. So well, I mean, I'll try it. I'll I'll test and and see what happens. But I think I think the the main point is is that it's got me to understand the kind of blog post that I need to write. And, and that blog post isn't going to be interesting for you. And it's probably not going to be very interesting for the listeners to this show. But the point is, is it's the correct blog post for the kind of people that I want to reach. 
And that's I guess what we'll see if it works, book. right? The, the proof so, will be in the pudding? Yeah. So I, I recommend um, a book by Dan Zarella, Zarella's Hierarchy of Contagiousness. Very, very good. I liked it sounds, a lot. Sounds good. Um, well, the, I guess the one meme that, uh, that I started that took off was the your Lux surface area. Right, yeah, that did. And definitely. part of the reason I think it did was because it was so simple. Like, it made sense. It was kind of like a head is sort of, uh, you could picture it uh, sort of geometrically or physically. And mm-hmm. so it, it, it worked. And then it started spreading around the web and people were coming back at me with it, which was kind of cool. But it had to do with the sort of, I don't know, it just it twisted a, a, some basic concepts and made, and made it uh, visual. And I, I think that things like that can help. So mm-hmm. well, let's, now that we're on Plugia, let's talk, uh, let's talk numbers. The revenue isn't go- it hasn't gone up that much. I mean, it has kind of recovered um, for the last month. So, I'm, but I'm still hovering around that two and a half thousand. What I'm really f- focusing on and thinking about is how to grow it. Yeah, so we're, we're like it. It's like we're, you're like Japan's lost decade. You're like the lost summer, the, the no growth <laughs> summer, Justin's right. lost quarter. So I have this idea of retargeting it for kind of specialist tweeters, um, specialist Twitter users. And I've also been thinking about creating this video series called Plugio Masterclass. And that is that I'll have different videos talking about, you know, how you can use Twitter to find customers, to, to win customers, to get followers, all these different things. And in thinking about the video series, it made me realize that there's a few things that I wanted Plugio to do that it doesn't do to basically give a really good video series to make Plugio seem like the best possible business tool. So that's what, so what I've been working on is those things. Um, I've been basically adding features to Plugio. So one of them was the left nav, and that was the, our, last, our last podcast, Justin's Big Left right. Nav. Great title, Jason, by the way. Um, so I wanted to create these folders uh, in the left nav. And you know, part of that is that you could use it for a workflow. So you can have like a CRM system. So you could basically have a folder that was you know, just people just discovered, and then you could have a, a folder, people I'm speaking to, and then a folder, customers. And so you can drag... You can drag people from one folder to another and kind of maintain your conversation with them and change state. So that could be like a little CRM. But now another thing that I've just added is um, location-based search streams. So in my in the left nav, I can basically say, you know, I could type in my zip code, and then, in fact, I've I've been doing this. Type in my zip code and then hash uh, PHP or hash CSS. So I can find, so I'm basically, it's a stream of people who are talking about CSS and PHP who are like within 10 miles of where I am right now. And the reason why I'm doing that is because I'm trying, I'm trying to start a, a, a farmer's market tech startup. So that's something that could work very, very well for a um, farmer's market tech startup or meetup. <laughs> just, a, just a tech meetup. Sorry, a tech meetup. Okay. So just just people locally. But um, I mean, location-based search streams are pretty powerful, I've realized. So for example, let's say you own a car a car showroom and you sell, I don't know, Audis, right? You, all you got to do is just type in Audi and just type in 10 miles of your location and then you can follow that. You just log into Plugio and see who's talking about Audis who are just down the road from you. And when they do, you say, hey, check out our Audi dealership. Right. Yeah. But I was, think, I was thinking that it would also, you know, another thing that you can do with these search streams is you don't need to put in a keyword. You can just put a location. So you could just say 10 miles of me where I am. And I, like, what would be a better way than this to find a girlfriend? <laughs> well, <laughs> so, so basically, people locally, okay. So, so basically, you just type in your zip, right, and 10 miles around your zip, and you just follow whoever's talking about 10 miles around your zip. If it's a cute girl, you just say hi. 
Right. How do you know if she's a cute girl? From her icon. And how do you know that's not some dude or some uh, It could obviously scammer? be a dude, but, you know, that, as that part of it aside, that's just a detail. The main point okay. is, is that Plugio is like the world's best dating tool as well. <laughs> <laughs> Date.io? <laughs> Date.io? Don't, don't you think that could work? I don't know. I don't know. I'd, I'm not convinced of that. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. That's a whole other discussion. I don't know. Okay. That's like a, a long shot. I'm going to follow you. Hey, yeah, okay. Like some girl, she doesn't know who you from anyone, and you're saying hey on Twitter, and so that's going to, you know. Well, no, you, you don't follow them. You're just, like, you're not even following them. You're just kind of seeing people who are talking, what people are talking about within a 10-mile radius of you, and you're just basically making friends on Twitter with people who are local. And, you know, maybe that might turn into something. I don't know. I mean, I, obviously, I'm being very tongue-in-cheek about this. Not serious. You're not looking but, for a girlfriend? No. <laughs> but um, I, do, I do think it's a great way to build a local business, you know? So uh, let's, I wanna, let's move on. What's, what's, what's the update on the, on the juice diet? I, I don't have any more information on that. You quit? I've... I've I've quit, but I'm hoping to do a little bit more of it. I don't have any more information. I'm, I'm in homeostasis on that. I'm just in the same position. Wait, wait, wait. What, was the, what does that mean? Because you quit. then you It got- means I've lost the weight that I've lost from that no, no, juice diet. You were on it for like 10 days, and then you went on yeah. vacation, you, got, you fell off the wagon, and then yeah. Monday you said, I'm back on the wagon, so now it's Saturday. No, I'm, I'm off the wagon. I'm off the wagon. You fell off the wagon again. How long were you back? And I'm, and I'm feeling shame, and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> well, that's why we're talking about it, because it's like, okay, you got to... Gotta, you gotta own up to oh, it. God. So you can get back on the wagon. They just, you have to say, I fell off the wagon, I'm getting back on the wagon. And what are you getting back on the wagon? The, the, this, these are the parts of the show that irritate me. I know. They're not supposed to be feel good. <laughs> this is supposed to get you to get back on the damn wagon. <laughs> it's not like, it's, 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 you know, it's like uh, when you have your soccer, football coach, whatever. If you're loafing, he's not there to make you feel good about it. He's about to yell at you and you get back, you know, start working, working hard. So... Yeah. All right. Well, I'll let you off with that. But do you remember when um, when we just did we we did, went through a section of just doing interview shows, and um, or, or we was, we said maybe we'll just do interview shows. And Taylor Norrish, the depressed designer, said, "Ah, oh, you know, I, I hope you don't do that because I, I would just miss miss the tension too much." <laughs> a little tension for you, Taylor. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Well, what about so you, well, Gone? How are well, you doing with second. your whole um, workout thing? I want to talk about the oh my workout thing. So. Yeah, I've been, I mean, I've been sticking with it. I mean, I'm like an hour a day on the elliptical, you know, burning like 650, 700 calories and lifting weights hard. So I'm my, my body is definitely transforming. I'm definitely getting, I lost about two and a half inches off my waist. I've lost probably about eight pounds of fat. So it's working. I mean, it's the fat loss, the, the weight loss is stalled out a little bit on six pounds, but that's because I've been lifting so heavy that I put on muscle, um, you know, which I could tell because I'm still losing you know, inches off my waist. So, you know, but I'm getting there. I mean, it's, it's back to, I'm almost down to 34 inch waist. So I don't know. My, my goal was to hit 180 pounds. Now that is going to be tough because uh, yeah, 180 is light for me based on my musculature. I mean, I'm going to have to be like at probably six or 7% body fat to hit 180. So I don't know. Did it's you be- see, did you see that wall street journal article, um, living to hundred and beyond? I did. I read it last night. That that was kind of awesome. What do you think about printing human organs? Oh yeah. Well, you know, I first read about that in a Scientific American article back in like 1997, I think it was, and they were talking about 10 years ahead, like what 
what was science going to offer? And they had all these scientists in all of these different fields from, you know, biomedical stuff to, you know, computer science to physics, whatever. And, um, and they were talking about using these biodegradable scaffoldings, which they would then put cells on that would grow. And it seemed really, it seemed possible still way out there back in 97, but now you're seeing that happen. They're growing, I think, heart valves and different pieces to organs. And uh, yeah, I mean, it makes complete sense. No, but they're, they're literally, the, the, the technology that they use to print 3D plastic parts. Like MakerBot? They, they, they basically are adapting that and are, have successfully used that to print human organs. So you can print like a kidney yeah which is and it's 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 not something that's theoretical it's something that's been done and to me that is just astonishing yeah i mean and I, there's nothing about the physics of it that makes it seem like it wouldn't work it seems like it might be a a hard um, you know biological slash engineering problem but it seems within the realm of possibility that's when i first read it back you know whatever 15 years ago i thought oh wow that <laughs> that that seems possible and of course now we're starting to see it happen so, yeah, I mean, you start replacing parts of your body, they can take maybe cells. And hopefully, I, I can't remember what I've read exactly about this, but I, I feel like I've read some things. Where they said that they're figuring out how to make stem cells without taking um, actual stem cells from embryonic stem cells. So you can get harvest stem cells from adults. If they can ever figure out how to do that uh, well, then, then we're going to be in great shape because then they can just regrow parts of your body or who knows, maybe you can be injected with some kind of like rejuvenation virus that goes in and takes you and starts repairing all your DNA or something like that. Well, the, the really interesting thing about that article is how many different fronts that they're attacking this problem on. And there's so many different concepts. And one of them that I thought was very interesting is the one where this gene sequence that is common in humans and, and uh, fruit flies and pretty much every, everyone, right? So you, you, t- you turn off this gene sequence and basically it can extend the lifespan of the creature by up to times 10. And um, I mean, if we're talking about expanding human lifespans by, I don't know, five or 10, then that's, you know, people living to 500 years old. That's pretty astonishing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, people can end up living to what, 500 or a thousand years. Uh, you know, I, there's a guy who's real big in this world. He did some Ted talk guy named Aubrey de Grey. I yeah. him in the article, actually a buddy of mine is a huge Aubrey de Grey fan and reads all his stuff. And, uh, you know, he's, he's sort of leading the charge on this. He's, uh, talks a lot about the possibility of, of, you know, extending life, uh, from to hundreds of years to thousands of years to eventually immortality. I mean, you know, you hear, um, Kurzweil talk a lot about this and, uh, I don't know. It's very interesting. I, you know, I, I hope it happens in my lifetime. <laughs> I have no interest mm. in dying in, you know, 30 or 40 years from now. Well, as we discussed in the last show where you would gladly, gladly put your head in a cryogenic freezer and not my head, people my whole wake body. You up. Oh yeah. Your whole I body, think yeah. you, but you want to die, right? You want to die? No, no, I don't want to die. Said you, you said you want to die. You'd be afraid to be frozen that you'd be woken up by a... No, I said, I said, I, I don't want to die, but I also don't want to do that that kind of frozen thing because i think you probably end up in like a some kind of vegetable state or something well you know whatever it's just it's like a long shot it's a hail mary right if you're gonna die yeah. and you say all right just cryogenic freeze me right after i die you know there's this there's that hail mary outside shot that you might get woken up instantaneously you know however many in the future we should probably call it a show because you're there's something going on with the mic and this is making a lot of noise um i don't know what well, the hell it is like, hold on a sec um, one, one thing I wanted to uh, mention, though, uh, for is the uh, in our in our X Files segment, right? The uh, Leslie Kane, ha- who we interviewed, or I interviewed, I guess, back uh, a couple months ago, had a History Channel 
documentary just air on Thursday called Secret Access, UFOs on the Record. And it was simply amazing. And uh, she, she, a, lot of the, um, a lot of the stuff she covered in the book, um, you know, these, her, her article or her book was called, um, I think, UFOs, government officials, pilots, government officials, and um, generals go on the record, something like that. And it's all like the most credible, you know, uh, interesting evidence of like multiple radars tracking, you know, multiple like high level officials coming on the record and say, yeah, this is what we saw. This is, you know, like the Rendlesham Forest thing where you had like 60 military personnel watching this thing up close for like, you know, 20 minutes or something at close range. I mean, anyway, I, I'll, I'll send a, I'll put a link to it. Someone put it up on YouTube. Um, really, uh, really Oh, yeah, cool. No, do put that in the show notes. That'd be good. Um, let's see if I have anything else. I'm, I guess we had a, I had a bunch of little things, so, uh, but we're out of time, right? Yeah. I had some pre-crime stuff. I had IBM's new cognitive chip that's coming out. Man. Well, that's a wrap. We're out. We're out.